This episode is one of our first in-person services after the lockdown, which we were able to stream for those watching at home. The sound on the microphone is not so great, because at that point, our microphone recording capabilities was just the inbuilt microphone on my laptop, sat at a bit of a distance. So the sound quality on this one perhaps isn't as good as it is on other episodes. That said, this one does include the readings, which normally I don't include, but I include them on this occasion because on this occasion I was doing the entirety of what we might call the liturgy of the word, and so I read each of the readings which were relevant to this sermon. And so I'm just going to hand over to myself and let you listen to the readings and to what I had to say. This sermon was preached on the occasion of the 23rd of August in 2020 in St. Mary's Dis. You are listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Path with your preacher Samuel S. Thorpe. reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. You have gifts that differ according to the grace given to you, some prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. For the word of the Lord. And this morning I'm going to read our psalm, which is Psalm 138. I'm going to read it as a prayer and end with an Amen. So if you would like to quietly join in with at the end with an Amen. Please do. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple and praise your name because of your love and faithfulness. For you have glorified your name and your word above all things. When I called, you answered me. You increase my strength within me. 
all of the kings of the earth will praise you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth. They will sing the ways of the Lord, but great is the glory of the Lord. O the Lord be high, he cares for the lowly, he perceives the haughty from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you keep me safe. You stretch forth your hand against the fury of my enemies. Your right hand shall save me. The Lord will make good his purpose for me. O Lord, your love endures forever. So do not abandon the work of your hands. Ah. Would you please stand to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. May I speak to the glory of the living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. My friends, I, I don't know if anyone here has ever been to Israel and visited Caesarea Philippi and stood in the place where Jesus stood with his disciples in our Gospel reading just now. I myself haven't been, but I know from speaking with my parents and with others that have been there, it adds a layer of meaning to this passage. Because when you stand at Caesarea Philippi, you look up and see the sides of the hills around you, and you can see the remnants of statues and shrines to various other gods, which pilgrims of different faiths would go to venerate and offer their prayers. And it's here that Jesus asks his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they respond with a selection of possibilities. He could be John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or perhaps one of the other prophets. Then he asked them a pivotal question. Who do you say that I am? 
This is a core question for us to reflect on for ourselves. What do we think of Jesus? Is he a nice guy who preached a message of kind friendliness? Is he a good role model whose example we think is worthy of emulating, such as the Buddha is for Buddhists, or Muhammad is considered by Muslims? Is he someone whom we respect and learn from? Or is he perhaps someone whose words we can use to bolster and support our own ideas, moral and political? Well, Simon Peter blurts out, You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Jesus is delighted. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And this is who Jesus is. He is the Son of the living God of Israel, the embodiment of the Word of God, living and breathing as a human being, like us and amongst us. This is not hyperbole or an exaggerated title. It's a divine revelation and confession that Jesus, not the local statues or shrines which they could see around them, is the Lord of all creation. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He continues, Now tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose in earth will be loosed in heaven. We are confronted first with the question, who is Jesus? And then, acknowledging the truth that he is the Son of God, we have to ask ourselves, who are we, the Church? For those of us here today, are the latest in that unbroken succession of faithful Christians through the ages, which are the body of Christ, the Church. When we trace our spiritual genealogy back, when we look at those in our lives who first encouraged us in our faith, and those who nurtured their faith, which was in turn received from those before them, we find, through the twists and turns and quirks of history, but it all comes back to this moment when Simon Peter says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. This confession, echoed on the lips of believers through the centuries, is the beating heart of the faith of the life of the Church. Yet this confession is not the end of the Church, it is only the basis for what Jesus says he will build, and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. And it is here that I regret to tell you, my friends, that we have been deceived. Somewhere along the line, we found our imagination of what this means has been subtly inverted and distorted. What do we imagine when we think of this phrase, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church? I suspect that for many of us, we visualize the church, and particularly our wonderful buildings, as spiritual fortresses which will withstand any attack of the powers of hell. But when we're here in this space, 
we are safe. Perhaps we imagine that the shades of hell linger outside the door, trying to come in as darkness, trying to smother our candle's light. And we trust that the candle, that light, will not be overcome. And indeed, the darkness of the world cannot overcome Jesus, the light of the world. But the image that Jesus gives us of the gates of hell is not of the powers of hell trying to break in here with us to defeat us. No, it's quite the opposite. They are encamped out there in the world with daunting walls and great signs saying, Keep out. For when we read the Gospels and we see Jesus encountering the unclean spirits, they cry out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And again, What have you to do with us, Son of God? Have you come to torment us? In James we see him write, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The gates of hell are the fortifications of sin, death, the world and the devil, against the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says to us, the gates of hell shall not prevail, he is not saying, you are safe in here behind your church doors. He is declaring that when we go out of our church doors, into our town, into the world, then we shall break down the gates and defences of hell as we bring the keys of the kingdom of heaven the gospel of salvation, forgiveness and eternal life to those who are in pain, despair and fear. For the power of Christ is the triumph of life over death. And in the spiritual war between life and death, there are three breaths of life which change everything. The first breath of life was that of the baby Jesus born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, in a stable, surrounded by farm animals. With that first breath, the living God, the Lord of all creation, lived for the first time within his creation, as the human being who would grow up to become our Saviour, and die for our sins upon the cross. And from that moment, the powers of hell were marshaled in a pain-stricken attack, trying desperately to kill him and overcome him. You'll remember that Joseph and Mary had to flee Herod's men who sought to kill him. Jesus was tempted by the devil himself in the wilderness and was betrayed into the hands of the religious leaders who sought to have him executed by the Romans. And it seemed as if they had succeeded. He was tried under the cover of darkness mocked, beaten and scourged before struggling to carry his own cross to the hill of Golgotha, where they crucified him. At that moment the skies were darkened as the shades of hell witnessed him give up his life and hang defeated before he was taken down and placed in a tomb. It was in that cold, dark tomb that the second breath, which changed everything, At the will of God the Father, the Holy Spirit filled the lungs which had been suffocated 
with the first counts of eternal life, as Jesus rose victorious from the dead. It was at this moment that the tide changed. The powers of hell and sin had thrown their all at Jesus, and it was not enough to restrain the love of God for his people. The love which brought Jesus into the world to die for us was the love which brought Jesus out of the tomb to reign forever. But there was one more breath which changed everything. And it happened when Jesus appeared to Peter and the disciples in the locked room after his resurrection. They saw him and were glad. And he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The church, then, lives and moves and has its being within the presence of the Holy Spirit and is sent out into the world just as Jesus was sent to us by the Father. We are therefore not to be deceived by the lies of the shades of hell. We are not to accept that we are here simply to manage the decline of the church. We are not to accept that the issues facing the church will be solved by someone else. And we are not to accept that our faith is somehow inert and no longer relevant to the society in which we live. For if we confess with Peter that Jesus is the Son of the Living, if we share in the inheritance of faith which has been preserved for us by the Church through the ages, then we are to head out into the world confident that in the power of Christ the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. I am reminded of the words which are spoken on the occasion of our baptism, which serve as a liturgical equivalent to that famous Shakespearean line, Once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. For we say to the baptized, fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil, and remain faithful to Christ to the end of your life. How are we to fight valiantly for our faith? We can begin by exercising our faith in these three ways. We are to pray, whether that's by saying the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. The Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me a sin. Or by praying the rosary, or by sitting in silence and reflecting on the gospel. I personally don't care. It only matters that you pray earnestly for the Holy Spirit to be present with you in all areas of your life, in whichever way is going to nourish you spiritually. For when the Christian prays, the gates of hell tremble. We are also to support the ministry of the church through our giving. It is mistaken to think that there are pots of money elsewhere which will continue to fund the work of the church and ensure that we have priests here in the distinct ministry to enable us to worship God, to receive forgiveness, and to help us to serve our community. Every Christian ought to give generously according to their ability, because to not do so 
is to risk abdicating the witness of the gospel and the glorification of God's name here in this place. And finally, we are to take Paul's words in Romans seriously. That is, we who are many are one body in Christ, each with different gifts, such as prophecy, ministry, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, and compassion, to name just a few. The gift of salvation, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is given to the whole church, and so we each have our part to play in the life and ministry of our church. This means that we should ask for what we need, for others cannot provide for what is unknown. It also means that we are all to share our faith with family and friends, and with neighbours and strangers. For together, we are the people of God, who know and confess that Jesus is the Son of the living God, and united by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are the church in this age, who has inherited our faith from those who came before, and who shall bequeath it to those who come after us. My friends, let us not be deceived by the lies of sin, the world, and the devil, but come to receive the Eucharist, so that we may be strengthened in our faith, and prepare to leave this building today, unashamed to confess our faith in Christ crucified, as we each live out our Christian calling to fight valiantly as disciples of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil and to remain faithful to Christ, to the end of our lives. Amen.